welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Months ago, we were talk- talking about healing in the atonement, okay? And we were just going through all the things that happened at the cross that uh, lead us to know that healing is a done deal for us. And so we did talk about Year of Jubilee, which was about this thing in the law that God set in the law that every 50th year um, they didn't work, um, all the debts were paid off, everything was restored back to the original uh, owner. And uh, so when Jesus read that part of um, Isaiah, when he went to the temple and opened and, and read, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And he said, today in your presence, this scripture has been fulfilled. And part of that scripture is declaring the day of the Lord's favor, which is what Jubilee was. That was that's the, when he said that, he meant I'm declaring Jubilee. So, um, so there's that part of Jubilee. Do you remember anything else? There was another, another aspect of what they did in the law that had to do with what happened at the cross. The law was kind of a foreshadowing. Some of the, the parts of the law, the kind of um, feasts and festivals and, uh, you know, the thing that the, the feast days that they had to celebrate, it's like a foreshadowing of what happened at the cross. I know it's months ago. <laughs> atonement. What's atonement? The day of atonement. At one. Yes, it's where the Israel became back at one with... God, yeah, have you found it? The 11th of November. <laughs> Was it? Yes. <laughs> I know. The Day of Atonement was this, this was a major solemn festival for the Jewish calendar and basically everybody had to fast, everybody had to not work, everybody had to um, be involved in this whole um, feast, which was... Um, where the priest would take two, I mean, there was a lot of other sacrifices, but basically they'd take two goats or sheep and one of them would be the scapegoat that they would lay the sins of the people on and the goat would be taken outside of the camp and so the sins were not, the sins were not covered up, they were actually removed away from the people, separated from the people and then the other one was sacrificed and and so... um, Jubilee came after the Day of Atonement, which is really interesting. So, so the year of Jubilee was declared after the Day of Atonement on the 50th year. So first of all, there was atonement. There was a making right of the sins of the people with God. And then there was Jubilee. And so it just kind of confirms that thing that after the cross, it's Jubilee, because the cross is the final, ultimate Day of Atonement. After that, there's no more days of atonement because it's finished and done. And the sacrificial lamb who was sacrificed outside of the camp bore our sin and our sickness away from us. And so that's the the symbol of of that. Um, And then we talked about Passover. Remember, so that was the, or we might have talked about Passover first. That was the, that was the um, festival where they, ke- where, which was started when they came out of Egypt, and God said, sacrifice the lamb, eat the lamb, and use the blood to put over the doorpost, and that's just a type of 
what we do when we take communion. And we will talk a bit more about that because that's a kind of New Testament talks about it again. Um, so I just wanted to talk about another couple of things in the, in, in the law uh, or in the Old Testament. And this is... Um, this one is just really interesting. It's just a little one, and it's the whole issue of the bronze serpent. So I don't know if you remember the story, but it's in Numbers 21. So if you remember, the, this journey in the wilderness that the Israelites had to take was actually not very far, but the, the people just continually grumbled and complained, <laughs> and eventually uh, they ended up wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And... During this time, they journeyed, and um, basically, the, the Israelites seemed to spend most of the time complaining, <laughs> saying, you know, God, you brought us out into this wilderness to kill us. Uh, we, we preferred it in Egypt. We preferred slavery. We preferred this. We, you know, just all a lot of grumbling and complaining and just not really any faith. But, um, I mean, we can criticize them, but I think probably we'd be the same ourselves because... That's what we like really as people, isn't it? We kind of don't have, we have a very short time before we start blaming God and, you know, saying it's his fault. So this was one of these kind of times for the people of Israel where they were just basically complaining. And the thing is, God had always turned up for them. He'd always provided water. He provided, you know, this, this kind of his presence followed them and or went before them, sorry, and it was a pillar of cloud by day to protect them from the sun and it was uh, light by night and they got manna every day and they, there was water uh, that that followed them and so they still complained so numbers 21 4 says then they journeyed from mount hor by the way of the red sea to go around the land of edom and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. And that worthless bread was the manna that God provided every day for them. So, um, so it says, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. And this is one of the verses we struggle with a bit because you think, God did that? Why would God do that? But actually, you think there were no serpents in the wilderness? I mean, there's loads and loads of serpents in the wilderness of, of, that, of that area. And it was really interesting because there's, a, there's a, f a film, I can't remember what it's called, but it's one of these kind of Hollywood blockbusters. I don't know whether it's called The Bible or something like that, but it's one of these uh, kind of proper full-length feature films about the Bible made by... Uh, some Christian directors in Hollywood. And they do, they do this kind of talk about the making of the film, which is absolutely fascinating at the end of the DVD. And they were saying that as part of their crew, because they, the, they filmed it in the, I think it was in the Moroccan desert, but anyway, it's still that part of the world. And as one of their team members, they had to have a snake catcher because there are so many snakes in the wilderness that every day before they filmed, they had this guy go out and catch all the snakes so it was safer. So I think for this verse, it's not God sent serpents. I think it's just the protection that they were under lifted because there's loads of snakes there anyway. That's how I understand it. Otherwise, you, you're kind of thinking, 
wow, God, this is another example of you not being very nice to your people. And, you know, you're not very nice in the Old Testament and you're quite nice in the New Testament. So are you, did you change your mind? Did something happen? You know, and I think it's, it's our English, and I think it's. I, I think what happens is eventually we can walk out of our own blessing. If you want to be, you know, if you want to walk a walk that just continually comes against what God is, you know, providing for you, and you don't want His provision because they didn't want this worthless bread, then eventually you walk into the the life of your own making, really. So, so anyway, there were these serpents and the the people got bitten and died and it says therefore the people came to Moses and said we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us so Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. And it's a really interesting little thing there, because why? (coughs) God could just heal people. God could have taken the serpents. God could have done anything, but this is what happened. Um, He said to Moses, "Make make a copy of this, you know, make an image of this serpent and put it on a pole. And if people will look at it, which I think is just a symbol of faith, it's saying, you know, just do, do something, turn and, and look uh, and you will live. And so that's what happened. And they lived. It's just a little, you know, this is all that it says in the Bible about it in the in the Old Testament. Um, but it's quite a fundamental kind of uh, event in our understanding of healing. And basically a number of things happened. The first thing that happened is the people then took this snake that Moses had made and started worshipping it, which is a bit of a shame. And uh, in, in uh, Hezekiah's time, basically he melted the snake down and, and removed it from the people because they started worshipping it as an idol. You can look it up yourself if you want. 2 Kings 18, 4... But then this little passage is mentioned in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it. Which is why I think it's really interesting when we, when we kind of decide that, you know, if we decide that all the Old Testament is not really God-inspired and it's just man, you know, doing his best, Jesus still considered what the Old Testament was as something that was worthwhile validating or, or talking about. He didn't... Do you know what I mean? It's it, he, Jesus himself referred to these events. So in John 3, famous passage. So this is Jesus speaking. This is the time that he was talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was saying, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. So he was, a, he was a Pharisee and he wanted to know about who Jesus was. So the Pharisees technically were against Jesus, but Nicodemus was saying, 
just, a, you know, there's something about this guy. So he secretly came and uh, spoke with Jesus and said, um, you, you must have come from God. And uh, so then Nicodemus asks, how, how can he be born again? And this is this conversation after Nicodemus has come to Jesus secretly saying, you know, who are you? And Jesus says, you must be born again. No man can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. And um, Nicodemus is a bit confused and say, how can you go back into your mother's womb and get born again? That doesn't, how, how does that work? So if we read from six, he said that, that, um, that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Sorry, I'm reading a bit early. So 10, the t Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. You think, what is he talking about? You know, he's like, what? And then he says in verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up that... Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So this whole little verse that we all know really well is actually in the context of saying, when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and people looked to, the, looked to this bronze serpent in the wilderness, so Jesus is going to be lifted up. And anybody who looks to him will be saved. So it's just a, a, a really interesting part of, um, of the atonement of what happened at the cross. So Jesus himself is saying, when I am lifted up, then it's like this, it's the same thing as happened when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And what happened when the serpent was lifted up, well, in that instance, they got healed from their snake bite. Now, you can talk about a lot of different things about whether that was healed from, you know, sin or healed from disobedience or healed from whatever it was. But for them, it was physical healing of their snake bite. And that, I'm not using this to say it's only physical healing, but because it's something, it is something else that is really important but a lot of people struggle with this whole idea and <coughs> does anybody struggle with that idea the of the bronze snake being Jesus the word or like Greek. Jesus the word what pole Yeah, why is he use a snake? Yeah, because the snake was the only cursed creature, and God cursed the serpent and said, you know, you'll be cursed and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all relevant. Yeah. It's all relevant, and as a result of Jesus becoming a curse for us, then 
we don't live in any any aspect whatsoever of the curse is broken. Yeah, and it tells us that in um, Galatians three. Well, these ones were, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, in Galatians 3, verse 10, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Okay. So, basically, if you're under the law, you're basically, there is a curse associated with the law. And we'll just look at that in a minute. And the biggest curse of the law is there was, this, there was this part of it that said, if you break one little bit of the law, you've broken the whole lot. So the, the law was not a, a kind of grade curve and the top 50% got in and the bottom 50% didn't. It, it, the, the, the level and standard of the law was 100% and you either got 100% and you passed or you fulfilled the law or you didn't. And if you didn't, there was a curse associated with disobedience to the law. And so um, it says here, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that are written in the book of the law. Uh, which means uh, the scriptures tell us that, you know, if you break one of the laws, you've broken it all. So you, can't, you couldn't go to God and say, but I did nine out of ten commandments, I'm still pretty good. Because that's basically self-righteousness. You can't go to God and say, well, you know, I'd, I've done all these good things because God's standard was perfection of the law. And therefore, anybody who's under the law inevitably is going to come under a curse because nobody could keep the law. So there was this curse associated with, with trying to keep the law to please God. And yet, as a part of that, there was a curse attached to it. And so... It says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And um, this is a really famous kind of uh, passage and phrase, and it's repeated in the New Testament, because God's way was never the law. He never intended man to relate to him through the law. He always intended that our, our justification, our being made right with him, came through faith. And even in the Old Testament, it came through faith. It, that was always God's plan. It was faith for the first 2,000 years. The law came in and actually it was still faith because none of them kept the law. But, you know, D David still, you know, b believed God. And you, you read the he Hebrews 11, all these people who believed God. And it was accounted to them for righteousness. And, uh, you know, D David was a man of faith. He said, you know, you don't want... You don't want sacrifice. You don't want... He, he understood that wasn't who God is. What you want is an, it's an issue of the heart. So, so um, Paul is telling them that this has always been God's way. The just shall live by faith. And yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. So that means that the law isn't faith. But if you decide you're going to do law, then you have to live by the law. Um, and unfortunately, if you live by the law, then there's a horrible kind of consequence of not living by the law. And um, that's why it's just really important. This whole book of Galatians is about don't bring back law, don't have grace and then start bringing back law. 
you can't you can't have grace and it's all done and you need to be circumcised and you need to keep the Ten Commandments and you need to do this, that and the other. Now, when you say you shouldn't keep the Ten Commandments, I'm not saying we shouldn't live righteous lives. I'm just saying that but by obeying Ten Commandments doesn't make you righteous. It's by your faith that makes you righteous and the outworking of that is you actually keep the Ten Commandments because that's what love is. That's what love looks like. So, so then it says in verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And part of the law was that if somebody hung, then they, they were, that was a cursed way to die. So, you know, in the law, they stoned people and stuff. They never hung people because that was, that was about uh, being cursed. So it's just really interesting that, that Jesus hung on a tree. And that meant that, that is the symbolism of that meant he was a curse. And, and that's why it's a snake. That's why the bronze serpent is a snake and it's a cursed creature. And it's just a type, it's a symbol of the fact that Jesus became a curse for us. Which is really good news when it comes to healing because even in our New Testament understanding, we can still start to get back into law and this whole issue of, of people will look back into Deuteronomy and say, but sickness is because you haven't kept the law. Sickness is because of sin and therefore, um, you know, you've got to do something better. You've got to make yourself better. You've got to repent to get your sickness healed. And it's a really common um, thing in Christian ministry. And, and you can understand the logic of it. And we've all been in it. You know, we've all done it. We've all, uh, you know, have this kind of whole charts of going through which sins have you done, which curses might you have come under, which, you know, whatever. And there's a part of me that thinks, well, that, the, that of all these things, there is an element of truth in it. Because to be honest, if you are, you know, perpetually living in a particular sin, you are going to get sick, probably. But that's not because you're cursed. It's because there is a natural consequence to not loving well. But it's not because we are cursed, because we cannot be cursed anymore, because we, Jesus became a curse for us. Which is why, if any of you have heard about the whole thing about tithing, and if you don't tithe, you're going to be cursed, which it says in Malachi 3. Whether or not you tithe is a different matter. I'm not talking about tithing, giving 10% of your income. Malachi 3 says, uh, you know, why are you cursed? Because you didn't give me 10% of, of your income, basically. And people will quite often teach about giving and saying, if you don't give 10%, you will be cursed. There is no curse of the law for us anymore. I mean, there's no law for us anymore, but we, we just don't live under that threat of being cursed anymore. And it's one of these things in our walk that if you believe it, then you probably are going to end up living a cursed life and so many people have taught it and so many people believe it that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and what I would say is if we believe the truth and declare the truth that whenever you know whenever you begin to think oh is it a curse have I done something wrong is this it might be that there are consequences to what we are doing you know 
If you're smoking 60 cigarettes a day, you don't have to be cursed to get lung cancer, okay? It's just a physiological event that will happen, okay? It's not a curse. If you're living in bitterness and unforgiveness, God isn't cursing you and you get high blood pressure or, you know, stress or whatever. It's just a physiology of our bodies that our bodies don't work very well when we're living in, you know, unforgiveness and bitterness. It's no longer, we, never, we don't any longer live in this place of being cursed. So our, our the, the events that happen in our life as Christians, I don't think can ever be because we're cursed. But 20 years ago, Christians believed very much that, you know, you've got to find out how you got cursed. The curse going down the family line and what did my ancestors do that make me cursed. And I think if you believe that, you will probably live in it. But if you stand there and say, I cannot be cursed because Jesus became a curse for me that I no longer can be cursed, then you cut it and you don't live in it. And do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Because you will hear, and there are loads of books written on blessing and cursing and, you know, how, how Christians can live cursed lives and what is the curse that happened that caused all these bad things to happen to you. And... It's nonsense because Jesus became a curse for us on the cross that we do not, there is no curse associated with us. There are consequences of sin, but that is not because you are cursed. It is because there are consequences of sin. And, and you know, said it before, but if, we, if you go out and murder a few people on the street, you can't go to the policeman and say, I'm forgiven, Jesus did it all on the cross. Uh, it's not my problem anymore because there are natural laws in this world that we are still under and that includes our, you know, our laws of the land and it includes the natural law that we live in. You know, if you jump off a 20-storey building and say, you know, I'm healed and God's healed me, probably you are going to not make it at the bottom, no matter whether God saved you and he's your healer and whatever. You know, because gravity is a law that we live under. And uh, that's not a curse. God didn't curse you because you jumped off the building. It's just because that's what happens when you jump off buildings. Okay. So um, this is really good news because the whole issue of being cursed as a Christian, as far as I'm concerned, is finished. Same as the whole issue of sin is finished. But, you know, when I was in the other healing ministry, we spent days trying to get, trying to dig down to the deepest depths of what somebody might have done to have caused this sickness. And, you know, you have to find the reason why they've got this sickness and haven't been healed because there must still be a curse. And that is a never ending cycle because, first of all, it's unbelief to do that because you're not believing the truth of what the Word of God says. And when you've got so much unbelief that you're doing that, that the faith that you have is being pulled down by unbelief. And it just, it's never ending because some people, we just don't see healing. And does that mean they got cursed and, you know, there's nothing we could have done about it? Does that mean they never confessed the right sin? No. So I just, I, I, I just cut it all out now when it comes to healing. I don't, I'm not really interested in anything about curses because it's not, 
part of my life anymore because Jesus has dealt with that. The same as, uh, you know, me trying to do something about my sin is not part of my life anymore because Jesus has dealt with it all. And it, it actually is a major big deal, but unfortunately loads and loads of Christians still, we were taught not that long ago, not here, but... You know, it's really common. If things aren't going well in your life, better find out where you got cursed. And <sighs> yeah, yeah, or somebody in the family must have done something. And then, but the you know, um, I think it's in Ezekiel. It's really clear. God says, you know, I'm not going to make the sons pay for the sin of the fathers. That isn't just. I mean, it's God. That's not God's. When it's in the in the original law. It said, you know, that the consequences of this sin go down the generations, which is why there's a biblical precedent for looking at it. And sexual sin, I think sin went, consequences went for three generations and sexual sin went down for ten generations, the consequence of it. But that is that, is that original law. And, and even, you know, in Ezekiel, God is saying, no, that's not how it, you know, men are responsible for their own sin. That was in the, you know, that was still in the law in the law days. So the reason you'll hear a lot of Christian teaching about that is because it's in the Old Testament law, which we are not under anyway. Um, but that's why people get the scriptural justification for it. So I'm not sure if we've looked at Deuteronomy uh, 28. Lovely chapter. Um, and if you don't understand that God... Jesus became a curse for us, then we got no chance whatsoever. <laughs> um, so Deuteronomy 28, have we, have we read it or not? No, no, okay. I can't remember the figures, but it talk, talks about um, blessings of obedience. Okay, and it says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, then the Lord, that the Lord will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And then there's about 15 blessings. And the blessings are great, you know, it's, it's, it's great. And, um, you know, there's going to be just blessing, blessing, blessing in every aspect of life. And um, that's great. And I'm very happy to live in the benefit of those blessings. And that's fine. Okay, so um, that goes down to verse 14. And then the whole of the rest of the chapter, which is massive, okay, it's 50 verses long, are the curses of disobedience. And this was the curse of the law. This is what would happen if you didn't obey the law. Bearing in mind, none of them could obey the law. It was impossible to completely 100% obey the law. So it says, It shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to carefully observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So the reason I'm telling you this is, this is where people get their teaching from. And this is why Christians can still be a bit confused as to whether they're cursed or not. And that's because... You're cursed in everything. It's just basically awful. And um, I suppose we should have looked at the word curse, but it's just basically horrible bad things happening to you uh, that you deserve kind of thing or even don't deserve. So it was everything that was cursed, okay? But if you look at it, loads of it is sickness and disease. 
Um, so um, I'll just I'll just read a few out. Read it yourself if you really want to be uh, edified. <laughs> Uh, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, the tumours, the scab, the itch from which you cannot be healed. Madness, blindness, confusion of heart. You'll grope at noonday. Uh, you won't prosper. Um, I mean, I'm just reading the sickness ones, but I mean, everything happened. The cattle failed. Everything failed. It was just awful. Uh, they would be left. You will be driven mad because of the sight of your eyes. The Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed. And from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, um, they won't have any any grapes. No, the vineyard will fail. Um, okay, etc., etc. There's there's a lot of sickness there uh, here. If you do not, 58, if you do not carefully observe all the works of the law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, and then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt. So, basically, diseases associated with Egypt, okay, which is a type of kingdom of darkness is a type of Satan which of which you were afraid and they shall cling to you also every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book of the law will come upon you okay it's bad news really <laughs> bad news um, and that's why Christians get a bit confused when it comes to how to deal with healing and sickness and it's why we can all get a bit confused thinking why? Asking that question, why? Why is this sickness happening to me? And it doesn't take long before you come into this kind of a chapter and you think, God must have done it to me. Uh, this must be a curse. It must be something I've done. It must be... And if you, if you go down that line, even as a born-again, new covenant believer, it's black and white, right? Black and white there. And if you don't just cut it all out and say no to all of it, you it just starts niggling you and you, you start thinking you know maybe I'm cursed maybe God has given me this maybe because it says in the Bible God will give you but I think this is where our walk of faith comes in and this is what it is to be justified by faith and what it means is you read this and say well it's just nothing to do with me this has nothing at all to do with me because number one I'm not under the law the law has been finished completely paid off by Jesus and it doesn't exist anymore it's like paying off a mortgage so if you owe money on the house and you pay every month and then it is paid off in full it doesn't exist anymore the mortgage just doesn't exist anymore you can pay it every month but but you don't have to pay it every month it's that's not gaining anything because it has been paid off so when Jesus came to fulfill the law that is talking about fulfilling the debt, it's talking about completely paying off that thing. So this is, the law is like a mortgage, it's, it's paid off. It doesn't, you, you don't owe anything in that area anymore. So our faith walk says, no, this is where I'm standing. Number one, Jesus came to fulfill the law, it's finished. It's nothing to do with me whatsoever. I'm not talking about living a sinful life, I'm talking about this law. What about the curse? Well, Jesus became a curse for me, so I don't know, I'm never going to be under a curse at all, ever. Not if some witch or 
whatever puts a curse on me, not if I do something wrong, not if I sin, not if anything. I am not going to come under a curse. That is not the reason why bad things happen to me as a Christian. If you want to believe it, it, you begin to live in the reality of your belief. Whether that's real or not, it doesn't really matter because you you begin to live in a self-fulfilling prophecy. And there's loads of Christians who believe they're cursed, which is really sad because even if they are cursed, they can, you know, even if it was true and even if it was possible, then they just go to Jesus who was, they look to him you know, the serpent on the snake, and they're healed from that curse anyway. It's already done. Um, so we can't be cursed, and sickness is not a result of a curse for us as Christians. Full stop. End of story. Don't go there, and don't start talking about it, engaging in conversation, because a lot of well-meaning healing ministries will go there. And we did. We used to do that, because, because of this, because of this kind of warped kind of mixture of well this is wisdom and we've got to you know. but actually wisdom is, is it's done Jesus became a curse and it is not for us to live in in the curse so if we can remember any of the, any, any of our list from you know ages ago I mean that's that knocks on the head quite a few of them doesn't it God gave me this sickness um, the whole issue of being cursed Please, I've said it again, I've said it many times, and I'm not, please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that there are not consequences of our lifestyle choices and our, but that is not a curse, that's what I'm saying. The issue of it being a curse is cut out, which is really good news, because it means, you know, we, we, we don't live under that anymore. It's not, it's not for us to, to live under, and that's a part of the cross. It's a part of what, what Jesus did. And it might seem like, because we've been in this environment for four months of everybody believing this and everybody living in the reality of it, it might seem like, yeah, yeah, I know that. But as soon as you go back into a mainstream kind of Christian setting, it comes back in because it seems like wisdom. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, um, I don't know the answer because it, it has to do with a belief system. And, you know, being in Asia, you can see um, these things work. So, it, you know, especially um, like in Malaysia, they, they have these what they call bomos, which are the witch doctors within the Muslim faith. And it, it works. So they, they do this stuff and they put this kind of, um, I got a friend who was in government and basically within the, within the offices of the parliament, they, the, the Christians are really careful when they take over someone else's office because they find these little charms and stuff which they hide in the desks and stuff. And I, I, and people die because they put charms, or that's what they believe. And, and, and some people do, they just get really sick. I'm not talking about Christians necessarily, but, but they use this stuff to influence people and, and to curse people. And, and it's like, well, does it work because they believe it works? Does it work because it's real? Uh, and that demons do exist and do have so much power? 
and and there is a real a, a reality to that um, so I think for non-Christians that there is a place where whatever the whatever the the um, the mechanism of a curse is it does seem to affect them now whether that mechanism is a demon or whether it's a belief system or whether it's a you know a learned way of behaving I have no idea so I think as soon as anybody's a Christian it's not applicable to them anymore I don't think you have to spend hours as a new Christian cutting off all the curses which is what we used to do but I think sometimes I can't explain it, but I think you do look at people and you do look at families and you do see that it just goes down the generations, this terrible stuff happening. So I think we do have an authority as believers to cut it off. And I sometimes do cut it off. Now, whether I've completely contradicted myself, I'm not sure, but I think sometimes, you know, there is something. Now, whether that's just a belief system or a, or a way of thinking or something, I think, I don't know, but yes, I think, and, and less so here, but certainly in cultures where they're much more open about the dark side of spiritual things, it, you can see it in people's lives. And, and I guess the one thing that I, I really don't know about, and, and it's, it, it's, it's one of those things that you think, is this happening because you believe it, or is it real? So in Asia in particular, in my experience, certainly in Malaysia, they do, you know, if they, if they, they a lot of the, say, the Malays who are the Muslims, you know, if they have a house or whatever, they do do a lot of BOMO spiritual stuff because they believe that they have to do stuff to stop the, to protect them. So they will put stuff in the houses and, and, and the Chinese as well, you know, the particular, not, not the Christian Chinese, but the old traditional Chinese ways, they also, you know, they put stuff in their houses and we can either say, that's rubbish, it's not going to affect me, which I think is a perfectly valid thing to do. But a lot of them are really fearful of it. And, you know, a Christian who goes into a new house will search the house to find if there's any stuff in the roof or whatever, because they have a belief that says this is going to affect me. And so they do this house cleansing and get rid of all of this stuff. And, and you know, it's really hard to know. It's really hard to know what to think about it, because when you are in it, it actually works. So, you, you know, you hear of people who are sick and couldn't get better. And then they found grandma had put a dragon in the, you know, or a picture of a whatever and had got it hidden in the cupboard. As soon as they take it out of the cupboard and dump it out of the house, they all get better. I don't know whether it's a belief system that is putting so much faith in the power of the dark side of things that actually that is your unbelief that is preventing you from living in health and healing or whether it really is an issue. Do you know what I mean? It, but it's a reality to so many people, and I've seen it with my own eyes. My, my personal belief about that now is, I think it's a belief system. I think as much as you believe that thing has a power, that is how much power it has. Because your belief in that, the power of darkness, is actually unbelief. It's actually, you know, it's actually giving more power to that than you, you are, are giving to Jesus and believing in Jesus. But a lot of Asian Christians think that we are stupid. 
because they think we just have no concept of spiritual matters and that we, you know, they, they think Western Christians are just absolutely, you know, huh? Yeah, lukewarm and no idea of, of what, what goes on in life. And um, so I think it's about how much power you think something has. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.